Remember what everybody told us? Nobody's ever going to order food online. Yeah, right. Who's going right. to order their coffee before they get to the shop? I remember one person saying, <laughs> there's a reason Amazon doesn't sell food online. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's talk a little bit about Amazon and Whole Foods. Do you see any kind of impact moving forward? Usually on something like this, we would just wouldn't talk about our idea because we wouldn't want people to take the idea. Or anybody in the tech world wouldn't want somebody. But there are so many barriers yeah. that we're quite comfortable discussing that it exists. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. First of all, what is blockchain? And then how do you see that impacting uh, the local food and local food economy? In my opinion, blockchain is as major a step forward in like techno theory space as the internet itself. Wow, so if that's you, a big it, it statement, is a, man. It is a big statement. <laughs> Welcome back to Edible Economy. I'm Nate. And I'm Kim. And we have Ben Tyson here with us today. Talk about some uh, some stuff that is, is above a lot of our knowledge base. I, I guess we have a lot of guests that do that, but... This one's gonna be uh, this one's gonna be pretty deep and pretty pretty interesting. We're excited about it. I don't um, actually know what we're talking about today. <laughs> ben, I don't either, really. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Kate will help us. And she'll fill in all the blanks for us. <laughs> so uh, before we get going, thanks for tuning in. Please uh, give us a rating, share us with your friends, subscribe on wherever you listen to your podcast. It it's, is the lifeblood of podcast. It, it's what keeps us going. So we would much appreciate it. Lifeblood. Lifeblood. Okay. <laughs> kind of like blockchain, which you guys will understand in a minute. So uh, Ben Tyson. Hi, Ben. Hi, guys. How's it going today, buddy? It's going well. I'm glad I finally made it here. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Little directionally challenged issues that we had today. Um, so Ben, tell us tell us a little bit about you know what what do you what do you do for work? We'll start there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a loaded question, <laughs> <laughs> but my focus is primarily on the philosophy behind startup industry and entrepreneurship. I'm really interested in the ideation phase of business models and business ideas. That's where my passion is, and it's not in any specific industry or vertical. It's really, you know, the ideas behind once someone gets an idea, how do they take that idea and form it into something? Now, most entrepreneurs, I would say, focus on once there is something, how do we grow that something? And turn it into a sustainable growth pattern and I'm not super interested in that I'm more interested in that soup that that early idea yeah seed stage so I spent a lot of time thinking about things like that <laughs> and we've been we've been at the table with a lot of those conversations yes <laughs> <laughs> whether whether it's 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 the three of us working together on something or you showing us new ideas and man I have seen so many interesting things <laughs> coming across the table. And I mean, yes. from the the cannabis industry mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, local food, Amazon for local food, to uh, the, 
the 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 business card, not business card, but the like players card. Yeah, the the inflips or my flyers. Yeah, right. That was early. And then the one where you you had like all the celebrities and you kind of gave them ratings. Yeah, remember that? What was that mm-hmm. one called? That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> what was that one called? I liked that one. Um, it was called Yep It. Yep It. Yeah, and that was a way to democratize social voting for what's trending. Okay. okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. And so some of the interesting things that I've, I've seen also are, um, you know, I've heard people in my life on shows, in books, whatever, talking about business and being like, you know, we, we were just too early. Mm-hmm. And I just thought they were full of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, while we had the pleasure of working together on a project, we were just too early, weren't we? Right. Yeah. One time. One time. One time. Yeah. (laughs) Everything else has worked beautifully. With ordering food. Yeah. Online food. With ordering food. I I think there was more to it than just being too early. Really? Maybe. Um, But no, it's something that I come up across a lot, which is this dynamic of when you have really good ideas. And by good, I mean pretty forward thinking ideas. The challenge is you're convincing people to buy or buy in to something that they don't really know they need. Yeah. Right. Right. As compared to a lot of businesses that just create something that people already use and they've just tweaked it a little bit. Said, oh, you're already using this. Here's, here's why it would be a little better. What we were up against in Local Radius was it was, a, it was a pretty big paradigm shift in the way people might think about ordering goods year round. Yeah. And they didn't know how important this was. And that was a challenge from us early stages. How do we convince them of that? Yeah. Because that was back in 2011. Right. Yeah. And remember what everybody told us? Nobody's ever going to order food online. Yeah, right. Who's going to order their coffee before they they get to the shop? I remember one person saying, (laughs) there's a reason Amazon doesn't sell food online. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I remember that too. So, you know, and you're like, okay. Yeah. All right. Because they hadn't figured it out. But to that person, they had a different reason in mind. Uh, So I do want to talk a little bit more about about that. Uh, But before we do, uh, there's an interesting story. Um, How did we how did we come to know each other? I know. But I want you to I want you to share. Do you know? Do you remember? I remember very clearly. So I had, yeah, I was living in Kansas and then I had just moved out to Denver, Arvada specifically. And I was working on this new idea that I called My Flyer at the time. It was a mobile interactive flyer. Now, this was when SMS messaging was, people didn't really know what it was. And say what SMS is. Oh, short message service or text messaging. Yeah. Uh, you know, my idea was, what if businesses use text messages to communicate with people? I never back, knew what SMS back stood then, for. Like, that was a pretty <laughs> revolutionary idea. Yeah. And most people said, no, businesses would never use this. And then I wanted to take it a step further and say, what if instead of just sending, like, a short text message, what if they could send a fully interactive, dynamic, graphically appealing flyer that was sort of like a website, but it just had the basic information and looked cool? Because back then, websites weren't responsive for mobile either. Um, and that was the idea. So I went out to the farmer's market um, and thought, you know, there's so many cool local businesses here. What if I could get them to buy into this new idea? So I, you know, asked around until I found out who ran the market. Yeah. I, I went to you and was like, 
hey, I, I have this cool idea. Do you want to chat? <laughs> we chatted. And I remember specifically, I was wearing this dark maroon t-shirt. It was my favorite t-shirt. <laughs> and uh, when I think of meeting you, I think of that t-shirt. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then yeah. you pulled me aside and you're like, man, I'm working on this really big project that I think you would like. And ever since then, we've been kind of working on... And that was Local Radius. That was Local Radius. I can't right. remember what it was called at that time. Well, you had just come up with the name. Oh, okay. And it was in the first week of knowing you that you sent me this email that was, all right, I'm going to run by a name, and I want your just raw gut reaction. Yeah. Local Radius. Yeah. So it was right at the beginning. That's so cool. I wish I could remember the old names, too. I don't Farmer's know. Market USA. <laughs> <laughs> Version 1.0022. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Beta. <laughs> so yeah, that was, uh, and that was seven years ago. Yeah. And that was, man, think of all of the things. We have done so many different projects, whether it's business. I have up on my computer right now uh, some really beautiful graphics that you've designed for um for our farm festival in Colorado Ninja they Challenge, are amazing. which, by the way, yes. I think is some of the best work that I've, I've that I've seen. Thanks. Um, I, I told Kim she put together this. Uh, um, <laughs> what did I do? No, you, you put together a slide deck last year. <laughs> oh, right I, for a pitch competition. And I was just like, oh my god, I have always wanted to stand in front of this kind of slide deck I, you know Kim this is awesome now I think I can actually win and we won and by we won the way. yeah oh yeah and then uh, so these flyers have a, a and posters s- and images and yeah. images yeah and they have a, a, a similar feel to me to where I'm so happy to stand in front of these because man I think I'm gonna the, the people are coming they're gonna be coming out for this <laughs> So, yeah, we let's talk a little bit about con, the convergence of, of tech and food. And a lot of people think of tech and food and they think of, you know, going from the plow to mechanized, you know, tractors and things like that. And oh, yeah, like tractors with GPS systems trackers, that just yeah. run themselves. Yeah, that... that yeah, they just plant. You just sit there and you watch Netflix and wait for the turn. Yes. Um, yeah, it's crazy. But there's a lot more to tech and food. Like we've already talked a little bit about about local radius, which, by the way, guys, I still think is a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to let it go. <laughs> I feel that way about almost everything I've built. I have this like emotional attachment to it. Oh, yeah. Um, and I know I'll probably never go back to them, but I'm like, man, that's yeah. a good idea. It's still good. We- Actually, asterisk, I have some ideas that were just genuinely awful. So <laughs> like, that wasn't a blanket statement. But I agree with Local Radius. I think it was a cool idea. Um, yeah. And, and the thing is, is it's still applicable. Even with the movement in the Amazon, you know, food purchasing you know, oh, now they're just doing like Blue Apron and it's Local right. Fresh or mm-hmm. whatever it's the called. Thing, Hello, yeah. Hello yeah. Fresh. The, the yes. thing I liked about Local Radius, I mean, I liked, I liked a lot of things about it, but it was that it made it accessible for local artisans, right, to showcase their goods in a way that impacted their local community. Yeah, sure. right. And economy. So these people at the farmer's market who sell, you know, a couple weeks in the summer 
but they can create these goods all year round and there's a market for them all year round. Yeah. Local radius, hence the name. It really made it good for them. And what Amazon is doing is it's making it good for Whole Foods, right? Right. To sell their good. These are the people that don't really need all these extra customers. They're already multi-million, billion-dollar companies. Right. Yeah, right? Local Radius was going after a demographic that is, in my opinion, heavily underserved. Maybe we'll bring it back. Right. Never know. Stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So let's talk a little bit about... Amazon and and uh, Whole Foods, I I was not surprised to see that happen. I, I was I was kind of excited for it, um, but I haven't really heard much about what it's doing and you know what 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 impact do you guys see this? Do you see any kind of impact moving forward? And I know one that I I'm thinking. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, the the trend is definitely moving upward. Every month, more and more consumers are buying uh, perishable goods or food-based items online. And Amazon is the driving force behind it, even though they weren't the first ones to do it. They yeah. were just the biggest ones to do it. Right. Um, it's, it's increasing at a rate that doesn't look likely to slow down anytime soon, which, I don't know, is that is that good? Is it bad? You know, there's a lot of philosophical or is it just implications. Oh, yeah. is, it, is it just different? I mean, you yeah. can say that about every technological trend. Yeah. Is it is it good or bad? But um, I think it's going to heavily impact retail stores pretty dramatically. I mean, well, you remember what Redbox yeah. and Netflix did to Blockbuster sure. and Family Video? Yeah. Same type of potential there, I think, eventually. On a side note, I heard somebody, a really interesting thing the other day, or just a comment uh, that I thought was great. Um it was talking about how Best Buy was driven out of business by um, by Amazon, or not, not Best Buy, but Circuit City, and that Best Buy will be next. And um, it was interesting because everybody's, oh, Circuit City, it was a big mainstay. I can't believe what Amazon did to that. And this person said, what do you think Circuit City did to all of those other little shops that right. were in town? It's just, a, it's an evolution. Exactly. And that's a really good point. I yeah. don't know if I've ever thought of it in that context. Yeah. But, I mean, that's that's really fantastic. I mean, not for the small shops that went out of business, but right. a way of thinking, <laughs> as, a, as a way of thinking about the, the market evolving. Yeah. And Best Buy definitely made Radio Shack obsolete. Right. You know, and right. those other ones. Yeah. So... Which you know, is that, funny, that's now that's I need happens. some stuff from Radio Shack because I actually have identified some things that <laughs> right. I need, and, and I don't know where <laughs> to get them. So now there's like some Radio Shacks, if you look it up online, in like little hobby stores. So now they're oh, like, that's cool. like taking like a, a present, yeah, in hobby stores. Because it's all about like those little mechanical parts and wires right. and stuff, right? Transistors. That people need for their radios and... Yeah. Um, model airplanes or cars or so they like these cool. hobby shops yeah and they so, always had the batteries that were hard to find too remember i i don't <laughs> i don't think well, i've been I in the did market remote for control those. cars <laughs> did you do remote control cars no no mm. radio shack was was one of the great places for that it was my inner nerd back in the day <laughs> i did like model airplanes well there you go yeah same, same thing. thing you just flew instead of drove on the ground 
I was the cool kid, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and then that was Nate. <laughs> Battle of the nerds. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love how this podcast moves from one direction to another to another so seamlessly. Right. Seamlessly is also a good word in the tech world. <laughs> See how we've been. And it's a very rare. Circle? Like it's a good theory in the tech world. Right. <laughs> very rare. But in a pitch meeting, it's always seamless, right? Always. So talk a little bit about in the tech world. Uh, you started with ideation. Yeah. So you have ideation. You have some team building. I think one of the most fascinating things is is the fundraising. And we see, you know, there's, what's that television show that... Shark Tank? Well, there's that one, but no, with the... Uh, Paradise <laughs> Island? With, <laughs> they're playing. <laughs> no, it's Magnum P.I., actually. Oh, okay. uh, no, it's the HBO show where they're the, you know, the tech team and... They, oh, Silicon Valley? Silicon Valley. And... Uh, you know, the way that they do fundraising on there, I'm sure there's a little bit of truth to that, but... There's truth to it in the very, you know, niche, small, nuanced world of Palo Alto, California, and its surrounding neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's some truth to it. <laughs> it's not applicable to most Can- Americans. Or Kansas City. Or Denver. No. Denver probably a little, right? No? No. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe a little. Okay. Yeah. Maybe there's some in Denver who would like to be like Silicon Valley. Yeah. Okay. Although an article came out this morning or last night. I read it this morning. Okay. Uh, that Silicon Valley is really beginning to lose its allure of, you know, this quote unquote Silicon Valley uh, con- concept. Yeah. That it's, it's losing a little bit of its shine as it relates to VCs specifically. Okay. That... They're having trouble out there. It's on a little downward slope. But I gotta hear why. Uh, just because there's all these minor markets like you know Austin, Chicago, Denver, you know, is one of those that are just more appealing to the average entrepreneur than going out to Silicon Valley and yeah. going through that whole rigmarole and so. paying way too much to live and exactly living with 20 other people right. so you can afford a place yeah but again so, like we just said with best buy those ebbs and flows are always happening there's always a line of dialogue in that world so in the in the food world the raising of capital is is kind of like the traditional you know if you have a business that's not a tech business it's it's really similar to the non-tech world where you you know it's friends and family it's foundations and it's strategic partnerships. Mm-hmm. I hope to see some things change with that. Do you have any ideas? I'm thinking of one specific thing of where food meets tech. Uh, without giving names, aren't there some interesting uh, laws in Colorado that can help? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you see where All I'm right. going with this? So, so yeah, so there was a couple questions all rolled up into one there. There is. Um, I'll try to go through them. But uh, to begin with, as it relates to funding, that's sort of the nature of ag and food-based enterprises in general is specifically because they're, you know, often rural initiatives, not urban initiatives, that it starts as a community project, friends and family, 
entrepreneurship and it grows very organically, like literally grassroots businesses yeah. are in the food world. And so that's just the nature of them oftentimes, not exclusively, but, but oftentimes. So you see a lot of that. But interestingly, you know, a report recently came out from a, a VC think tank that said around, um, let's see, what was it? Uh, I think one total of $1.08 billion was invested into food businesses in 2017. Okay. So, you know, that's been a year and a half. Yeah. In As far as VC investments, but only there were 99 companies represented in that. That's the number that struck out to me in the VC world. There was only, 99, only 99 companies. Horrible. So if I think, uh, uh, let's just round that up to like 100. Yeah. That would be around $10 million per investment. So in the VC world, there's not a lot of transactions happening, but when they do happen, they're huge. So that's almost a completely different category category of funding businesses than it what is. we're talking about. It is, absolutely. But it's also something to, to point out that there is major investments happening in food. But it leaves a lot of players kind of out to the wind, which is what I think you were alluding to, and it's a concept that we've spent countless hours talking about, and it has to do with, you know, with the new laws that came into pass at the end of the Obama administration as it relates to uh, citizens being able to invest in companies for equity rather than for like gift hats yes. and embroidered shirts. Right. Um, free tickets too. Don't forget those. Exactly. Free, free tickets. <laughs> that, that potentially could really change the landscape. Um, and it could make a huge impact in food and ag-based startups. Yeah. So uh, Colorado actually wrote a bill that uh, it's called the Colorado Crowdfunding Act. Um, I know you know about it. Yes. Um, and what it does is it incentivizes local uh, businesses, or local as in state, like Colorado businesses, to encourage them to using proponents of this bill or using you know pieces of this bill to raise money from citizens rather than from institutions. So you know someone starts a like a local Jenny's company, jelly. Or, yeah, like a jelly company. Jenny's Jelly, there we go. They could they could raise money in small, you know, $500 increments from their community. And those people who invest $500 actually can get equity in Jenny's Jelly. A small amount, you know, to, to be determined by the terms of the agreement. Sure. But that the Colorado government is encouraging companies to pursue citizen investment opportunities. However, even though they passed that bill, there hasn't been a lot of activity on that, mostly because most average citizens don't know it exists sure which as you know is one of my many initiatives right now <laughs> or our, our initiatives right um called crowdsprout where they say let's build a technology that can help facilitate that transaction and information between the small business owner and the citizen investor and not going into a whole lot of details, right. usually on something like this, we would we would just wouldn't talk about our idea because we wouldn't want people to take the idea. Anybody in the tech world wouldn't want somebody. But there are so many barriers. Yeah, that we're quite comfortable discussing that it exists. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I I decided a long time ago, you know, it's kind of a serial ideator uh, that I I couldn't. 
worry too much about not talking about my idea because that's generally how they failed is no one ever knew about them yeah um <laughs> well in marketing we've talked about this right. and uh, marketing so, yeah you know uh you know what we've done is we've gone straight to the to the top and we've talked to the lawmakers specifically and said how can we work with your bill directly to build a program that helps get your bill used by citizens and business owners in Colorado. And so we've got them on board with us, helping to smooth the process and to work on these small little iterations of the technology that make it good for everybody, good for the state, good for the business owners, good for the citizen investors, and ultimately good for the consumers of these businesses. Yeah. And that's a big barrier to entry for us. It's a really exciting project. It, it really is, and and stay tuned. Um, yeah, you know, I there's no time frame. There is no time frame. Just stay tuned. It'll be cool when it happens. I, I bet you that everybody that listens to us or has any access to any of the businesses we do, they'll know. <laughs> right. It's ready. Most people know about me that I don't exist in linear time anyways. So <laughs> I don't think there's any expectations of it. <laughs> All right. I'm going to shift gears cool. again. There is this thing technology, something out in the world. Um, you and I talked a little bit about it. Kim, I want you to ask all kinds I'm of questions. I'm just like looking back and forth between you and Ben, like, what are we talking about today? <laughs> so I'm learning. Yeah. So uh, this is this is pretty neat, and I, I'm ready for an education. I don't have a pen and paper because I think we're going to record it, and we can go back and listen to it at a later okay. time. So, uh, but there's blockchain. What, first of all, what is blockchain? And then how do you see that impacting uh, the local food and local food economy? Right. Blockchain. 30 what seconds. What is blockchain? Please go. <laughs> blockchain in 30 seconds. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I, I probably could do that, but. <laughs> I don't want it. I want, I want so, the real deal. All right. Let me take one step back before I answer that question. Okay. And preface my answer by saying, in my opinion, blockchain is as major a step forward in the technological space and like techno theory space as the internet itself. Wow. So if That's you, a big it, it statement, is a, man. It is a big statement. So, you know, <laughs> you think of the internet as, you know, an object, an entity that you can hold in your hand and say, wow, the yeah. internet, look at what it's done. I believe blockchain is a successor of the internet. Interesting. That it's so powerful that in itself, what it can do is that that impactful. Okay. So that being said, like, what is it and why is it important? Because yeah. blockchain isn't a new internet. And contrary to popular belief, it, you know, blockchain isn't Bitcoin. They're not the right. same That's thing. That's what I was going right? to ask. And, and I'll, you... I'll briefly touch on that without going too deep. I'll try really hard to stay non, like mathematical or technical because blockchain is based on both math and technology okay but <laughs> lots of zeros and ones I'm assuming. or is it different yeah i mean that that, that would be a <laughs> <laughs> lots of zeros and ones and pluses and minuses <laughs> sure okay um that's the 30 second version <laughs> right there we go <laughs> that's nathan's all right thanks for, for tuning in today <laughs> all right so 
blockchain is a way of sharing, but more importantly, storing transactional information. Okay. So here's an, here's an example. Let's say that I wanted to uh, do some sort of transaction with you, right? Let's say I was going to give you $5 and I gave you the $5 and then I took my notepad out and I wrote, um, I just gave Nate $5 and then I crumpled it up and put it in my wallet. And that's basically the record of that physical transaction. Okay. okay? That's how it exists now. Think of even our, our banking system as that. It's, it's a ledger, except for that in our normal banking system, that ledger exists where? Well, in you know the, the archives of the bank's data system. Okay. Who has access to that transaction? Me and the bank, right? That's it. So what blockchain does is it decentralizes that transaction. So instead of it being a one-to-one -one entry, it is a peer-to-peer -peer entry. And I'll, I'll, that will make sense here in a second. Okay, good. So imagine this. Yeah. Right, I know. All right, I'll get there. All right? Yeah. So let's say that we get a thousand people to come out here to Bromley Farm. Okay. And we each give them a notebook. And we do that same $5 transaction and every single person notates that transaction in their notebook, right? Mm -hmm. Except for that when you're thinking of it in blockchain, it happens like automatically. And it's like a mathematical algorithm that notates that transaction. And then those people disperse about the world. Now let's say that I come to you and I say, oh, I actually gave you $10. And you're like, no. No, you, you gave me $5. And I say, okay, uh, well, prove it. And then you contact all of those thousand people that have that identical record. I say, oh, this, this is, it was a $5 transaction that happened at this date. And once that transaction is stamped as a block, a transaction is a block, once it's created, it can't be uncreated ever. And to break it, you would have to steal all thousand notebooks simultaneously okay. and rewrite it. So now imagine, that's just like a really basic example. Okay. So now imagine the transaction takes place, but it's notated on hundreds of millions, instantaneous blocks all around the world in a system that mathematically really can't be broken. And I, I won't get into the math behind that. It would take too long. But it, it just, trust me when I say it's super, super, super secure. If someone's going to break it, it's more than likely going to just be on a system that provides the blockchains, not the blockchain itself. Okay. Okay. So now all of a sudden you have these records of transactions that are, it's, it doesn't belong to the bank and it doesn't belong to the paper in my wallet. It's every single person that is part of that chain has the record of it. So everybody theoretically knows everything that's happening all the time and you can't lie about it. Okay. So it's the most secure way of transferring any information imaginable. Now we like to think of it in terms of money, like cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Bitcoin's its own thing, but it uses the blockchain to securely like move Bitcoin between people, right? Oh, okay. Right. So Bitcoin is it's, it's its own thing. 
but it uses blockchain because blockchain is so freaking powerful. It is what makes blockchain, or it's what makes Bitcoin work. Because without it, it wouldn't work. Just like email wouldn't work without the internet, Bitcoin doesn't work without blockchain. But Bitcoin is, in fact, that's a good example with the email. Email was the killer app that made the internet something that everybody could like understand. Okay. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin is the killer app that people are starting to understand blockchain, but it's only one. Anything that involves the transfer of information, the secure, unbreakable, transparent, decentralized transaction of information can be used on the blockchain, including lots of things related to the food industry. Right. So before we get there, yeah, I, have I have a question. question. Okay. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> so decentralized and one-to-one was some of the terminology that you used. Essentially, are you saying that if it was centralized and it's one-to-one, it, you would rely on either the bank or the person who got the $5 out of or the $10. Right. But when it's hun- the 100 people, then everybody has the same information. So you can be like, oh, if you don't believe me... Ask these other 99. Right. Okay. Now, let's say you're a hacker. Yeah. And you want to basically say, oh, no, that transaction didn't happen. Or you want to change the amount that happened. You would have to simultaneously edit every single instance of the block. Oh, and it would have to be simultaneous. It would have to happen like instantly, which is a whole other tangent I could go on, but I won't. And it would have to happen on every iteration of the chain. And if one block is compromised, let's say he successfully goes into Kim's one, one, one block, yeah. every single person in the chain gets alerted, right? This chain doesn't match, and it's just a swarm of bees, boom, right? The technology to attack a ledger in a historical blockchain would... This doesn't exist at, yet. Right. Maybe it does in an underground bunker in... Russia, Finland or Russia. Yeah. You know, I mean, there, there's been people stealing Bitcoins and things. Again, you know, I, I won't get into that, but just know that it is as secure as it could possibly get in the technology we have available to us right now. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, so a couple questions. First, when you were first explaining it, it's like, well, why do we want, why do I want more than just my bank to know my transaction? Why do uh, I want it like spread out? So that makes me feel like less secure. That's a great question. So that's, okay. Right? I had, when I was first kind of getting into this, mm-hmm. I had that same thought. And I didn't make this very clear. Sorry about that before. But it's not that it's totally transparent to everybody. It's mm-hmm. still heavily, heavily, heavily encrypted, right? Okay. So even though the thousand people have your instance of, you know, that transaction in their block as part yeah. of that, that chain... They don't necessarily know what it is. They just know it happened. And it is sent to them in this extremely long like digital hash code. Uh-huh. That it, it's not just, oh, Kim spent $5. Okay. Think of it as like the genome sequence of that transaction stamped okay. onto their block that they have. Uh-huh. And the important thing for them is that everybody's genome stamp is identical. Now, you can choose Mm -hmm. to make information transparent or you can choose to make it hidden in the chain 
and the only data that's important is that it matches with everybody. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's still it's still an extremely secure and personal. Okay. There's some instances where you would want people to know. Root. Good boy. Our dog is getting really interested in blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, doesn't it, bud? <laughs> so, okay, we've talked about like a financial a financial application for right. this. Because that's the way most people that, that's the biggest way it's used now. So what are some other applications for it? Oh. Honestly, the, the list never ends. That's why I believe it's as big as the internet. I'll, I'll try to give an example that's pertinent to this podcast. Okay. Let's, that's a great idea. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's say that you have a store that has a an, an illness outbreak. You remember when Chipotle had that big yes. yeah. know, illness outbreak? That's just a... I only use that example because everybody knows about it. Um, well, I always like to talk about it because Chipotle <laughs> okay. slammed local foods and tried to blame it on local foods. <laughs> I, I remember code. that. Yeah. yeah. It, it's not regulated. Um, oh, yeah. okay. Local. So what a, yeah. what a great segment into this example. Okay. All right. Chipotle blamed local foods for the outbreak. Erroneously. Right? Yes. Erroneously. Not even allegedly, now, but let's erroneously. Say, a lot of pieces of the puzzle would have to be you know, tied in to the technology in order to make this happen, but it is happening. So, you know, it's not far-fetched at all. Uh But let's say from the time that, not even the seed was planted for that vegetable, but from the time it was, you know, conceptualized where it was, every instance of the movement of that food was stamped into its own blockchain ledger, right? Okay. This is where it was grown, right? This is where it was harvested by this person at this exact time at this date. This is where it was sent to holding. This is where it was sent to distribution. This is the serial number of the box that arrived at the Chipotle location on this date that was used in this food. You can trace it back without error Mm -hmm. to its origin. And it can't be broken. So if every single iteration of the movement of food was stamped into a blockchain ledger, Chipotle would be like literally, not figuratively, literally unable to make the erroneous claim that the food that, oh, the illness was just due to the local food. Now, if it was due to the local food, well, you would trace the food on the chain, the unbroken, unlike, uh, hackable chain to its source to the exact ingredient right so seed all the way to sale every iteration every movement is tracked and and it's a way that you know can't be manipulated at all okay so if that data existed in a blockchain system think think of what what the implications of that are yeah for sure i'm just saying how is that how is there a practical application of that is there a practical application of that? Yeah, of of you know to be able to, all the food to do the like, data entry and how does that how I, like I'm still it's still like mm-hmm. esoteric to me. Right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that it's not going to be in a minute. It, it already is happening. <laughs> okay. Um, in fact, I, I haven't done this, 
but I would guess that if you do a quick search on technology companies working on agri-based seed-to-sale blockchain tracking technology, you would 100% get many, many results and be able to find companies working on this. Okay, well, so it seems like like if you hear about stuff with meat in contaminated contaminated yeah. meat, like they can track it back to right. You're no longer looking for a needle in a haystack. Right. That is so fascinating. Right. I mean, that's crazy to think about because mm-hmm. it's, it's always mind-boggling when they do they the the superior or the royal they mm-hmm. find the source of of, right. of outbreaks of any foodborne illness right the cosmic lords of destiny oh that's right. overlords of destiny <laughs> okay yeah did you have a name like that once that's my nickname okay <laughs> um, and uh, and it's not just food recall it could be food labeling right and I think sure. that's awesome yeah uh, it could be access you know instead of now and take a step back instead of thinking of it as the chain the supply chain of food from seed to sale. Think about it as information going to uh, distributors, right? Where if they have data on the black blockchain, middlemen can't necessarily alter prices for profit if that data is stamped instantaneously. So I'm looking for current market rates on you know food item X, and I'm using a technology that is all data based on the blockchain that I can make much better informed decisions. So, and will it make it much more instantaneous and, you know, make this information that much more available because it's been done, if it were done on blockchain? So, more available, I don't, I don't know about that. That just depends on, you know, the, the tech company that's doing it and the method that they're doing it. It just makes it more accurate. Right? Okay. Like, I'm trying to think of another good example to illustrate this, but let's say that I draw a picture. I, I paint a picture, and then I post it online, and then someone shares it, right? And then it gets onto a Tumblr page, and then it gets thrown on Pinterest, and then, you know, three months later, someone says, hey, look at this awesome picture that I made. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, wait a second, I made that picture. Now, what if from the second I uploaded that picture, I put it on a art-based blockchain ledger that if someone claimed that that's their creative work this application has to happen i mean i i can only imagine that yeah I mean, I, and, and that be... was just me kind of spitballing off the yeah. top of my head but it makes it so that you can prove origin I mean, I just keep thinking it's going to be great for the press. And so people running for office or people in office Scary. Right, that can't yeah. like lie about right. other people, you know, trying to get elected. Mm-hmm. Actually, currently. that's that's a really that's that's something that is really fascinating to me without spending a lot of time thinking about it. But a blockchain for tracking statements politicians make on particular issues. You know, you can always just go through news, news feeds and Twitter feeds and, you know, archives but if those statements were actually put onto a blockchain ledger right and then you know the emails like did you email this person at this law firm well exactly yes yeah yes i can't say no because blockchain says yes so do you add to the blockchain or any anytime there's a transaction it's it's automatically there's what's called a proof of work and you know it's submitted and then it's 
compared and contrasted, like all the numbers have to match up in the, in the math to prove that this is a legitimate transaction and that it's true and this is the timestamp and then it gets sealed and then put into the chain's archive. So back to the pictures on the internet, it would just be notated and then it would go across the whole blockchain. Right. So that think of, specific think, blockchain. Yeah. Think of a chain that like, you know, if we, let's say we built a technology to track the original author's artwork, that when I submit my artwork to this chain, it's a chain that belongs to that technology. In order for me to participate in that chain, I would have to use an upload and verification mechanism supplied to me by whatever company manages that blockchain. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different technologies themselves that run and manipulate blockchain and allow creation of these what are called smart contracts which is exactly what it sounds like a smart contract is how you get something on the chain at least that's like the layman's term for it Uh, yeah and and that's like an extra link on the chain or is it just data that goes to all of them yeah the smart contract is basically this transaction happened and we're like like remember at the beginning i said I loan you $5 yeah. and we wrote it on a piece of paper. A smart contract is that happening happening digitally directly relating to a blockchain instance. And who is the arbitrator or the arbiter of that? Everyone. That's mm-hmm. the big thing. Yes. Yeah. So because when you just said the company that created it, I was wondering, does that mean that they get no. to be the All they know, do is right. supply. They, they, they supply the, the chain. <laughs> right. The, the kind of the canvas, the chain. They don't necessarily management. They might alert, you know, okay. when, there's, when there's an attack on the chain, for example. But they can't manipulate the data or anything. So when one chain, ha- when a chain has been created, who can destroy the chain? Well, you can't destroy the chain. Okay. That's interesting. So it can't. So it always exists. Yeah, unless we unplug the. The goal is that it can't be corrupted. Right. And hopefully, people putting information on the chain are putting accurate information. Well, right. And you know, there is a human element on that. Uh But when you have so many simultaneous ledgers happening at the same time, it's difficult to put inaccurate information. You know, the the human element is always going to exist. If I take Nate's drawing mm-hmm. and I take a picture of it and initiate it on an art chain and say it's mine, tough luck, Nate. Right? Yeah, because you were you would first. Have, you would have needed to upload it to that system before me or at least have some sort of record. You know, It's okay. kind of like when, when, when you do a, a patent or a trademark, you can like send yourself mail as like the layman's way to do that. Mm-hmm. It's like that except way more advanced. Okay. Have a record that I, this idea, I had this idea before anybody else. And here's a record of me like sending it in the mail. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. I gotcha. So what, what are you doing with it? Are you, are you in the information gathering (laughs) phase or? Well, I'm always in the information gathering phase. Okay. Um, Yeah, sure. I haven't tangibly, you know, said, Hey, here's a business model or a business idea that I'm going to actually deploy. I have a a, a lot of ideas. I've, you know, tinkered around in the cryptocurrency space, nothing groundbreaking, more like day trading stuff that I haven't, haven't really deployed. Okay. Um, I'm mostly following the industry because I'm super interested in it and where it's going to go and becoming as informed as I can about it. 
because the problem with these sorts of trends is they become buzzwords and then people just start dropping the word oh yeah we're going to build our system on a secure blockchain you know network they, yeah. they don't know what they're talking about they're saying it because it's a buzzword because it's cool right, right? because it's cool yeah i prefer to approach buzzwords with as much inform in, informed like you know content as i can yeah so I'm always reading about it. I'm following companies that are innovating in it. Yeah, occasionally coming up with some ideas. Is it difficult to create one? Well, I mean, it's sort of the same as saying, hey, I'm going to build an app. Okay, well, you need to know how to program apps, right? So do you want to learn how to program apps? If I want to learn how to build a smart contract, well, there's a certain language that I use to build smart contracts and a new language coming out every week. Do I want to learn those? You know, that's the question you have to ask. Okay. If you say, can't you build it? It's just like any sort of tech. You have to learn the language that runs the infrastructure and then actually use it. There's some big frameworks that allow you to make these smart contracts quickly, like Ethereum. But this is uh, some deep stuff. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but I'm glad I know about it now. Yeah. I mean... Right, yeah. I hear you hear the buzzwords, but this yeah, now it, it's makes more it's sense almost to me. to me it's in the same vein as when people talk about you know deep learning or AI, right? Okay, like I get that, like I understand what AI is, but do I really understand where it's going and what, what it's doing? What is deep learning? Deep learning and machine learning is, you know, it's think of it as a subset of, of, of AI that controls okay. the knowledge base. Okay, gotcha. Um, like neural networks, for example, where the protocol behind a technology is powered not by, you know, someone intern in the back room putting in like all these scenarios. Okay. Like I think I'm data. following you. Yeah. It's where the program actually receives information and then makes like semi conscious decisions okay. itself on what to do that's not fed to him manually and it is a guy stop <laughs> well yeah or is it a girl it's, it's a girl actually it, they they we we yeah women are much more capable of deep learning <laughs> yes man uh whenever we have these deep deep tech conversations I always go back to something that I still look at. I mean, I don't care who makes fun of me for this. I still look at the fact that I can take a phone (laughs) and be anywhere in the world, well, not anywhere in the world, but most places, and just pull up a movie that I don't have a disc for that I've never seen before on my phone. I just find that fascinating. The inner waves, yes. And even the fact that you can take a video with your phone is still just fat. And I know it's just storing data and the way that it's manipulating and moving data and it's just a reproduction of data, but it's still fascinating to me that I can then take that data and then zoom it through the airwaves to people. That's just, it, I still think cell phones, um, I tell my I tell my child this like if you don't if there's anybody that doesn't believe in magic it's it's stuff like the phones um, <laughs> we just have a different way of using magic than we did in like the fourth century so well, that's kind of the dark time yeah. so you know you know there's a lot of people who are extremely technological savvy uh-huh. who could tell you from like the 
actual breakdown of the code line by line on how those videos work yeah who would hold a tomato and go man like this tomato was grown like magic from yeah. the dirt <laughs> yeah and here i am eating it and it's actually like providing me sustenance like holy smokes that's awesome yeah right yeah so it goes both ways <laughs> this amazement and i it's something i spend a lot of time thinking about but i'll say on on the point where you talked about movies it wasn't so long ago that in order to learn something or learn about something you had to work to get access to it. You had to go to the library or you had to actually go back 150 years. Remember Abe Lincoln walking, walking 12 miles just to borrow a book, you know, and return yeah. it in the rain. That was active learning. And he only you did had, it when it was raining. Yeah, exactly. Well, hey, <laughs> and access to information was not accessible. But we live in a world right now where for the most part, you know, there's a little asterisk behind this, but for the most part, you can learn anything you want to learn within seconds. You can have almost any question answered within seconds. Now think of the implications of that. We right. have access to unlimited knowledge, which is the first in human history. What are we doing with it? Well, we're streaming, you know, silly movies, right? <laughs> right. So, or food documentaries. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice, safe. Um, but uh, I, you know, I think I, I think it's something that our youth need to really think about. That they shouldn't take this advantage. It's the first generation. Like, it wasn't when I was a kid, we didn't have smartphones, but now they do, and yeah. they have access to this, like unending repository of information are they going to take advantage of it or are they going to take it for granted yeah you know time will tell you know there's a, there's another really interesting way that people are looking at this and it's that the valuable person for a business or an entity or heck i don't know maybe even a politician back in the day was who could retain this knowledge and the, the human themselves be a repository for that knowledge. And that made for a very valuable person, you know, whether that's within a company or, you know, the, the people who could win at Trivia trivia Pursuit or Jeopardy, like they were a lot more highly valued 25, 30 years ago. But now that everybody has access to so much of this information, it still matters a little bit whether you retain all that information on your own and you don't need a computer, but what the more valuable people in and assets of companies now are the the ones that know how to use the data and use the information. And I think that's right. a, that's that's the change that we're living in right now. What if it's like an evolutionary step backwards where people just they're like, I don't have to retain it. And they're like losing that. It definitely that. is. Yeah, I think that yeah, is happening. Right? The, um, the, in fact, there's there's research on that. Yes. That now we're in data overload. We and are. there are some major negative ramifications. There are some positives. There's a lot of negatives. Yeah. Um, and to what you said, Nate, it really comes down to the age-old saying of, you know, what's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Yeah, right. right. What we need right now isn't necessarily more knowledge. It's more wisdom, which is how do we take knowledge and apply it mm -hmm. in the right way? And 
this is where the human element is so important. Yeah. Man, I love this. This All is right. such a yeah. fun show. <laughs> All right. We just have a couple of moments left. So um, I have uh, one question I want to ask you, and then I want you to, to give all of your info, how people can get a hold of you if they want you to come and build a blockchain and a smart mm-hmm. contract for them and all that good stuff. But so, Ben, yeah. if you could have uh, a message that goes out to everybody in the world um, or an SMS text that went to everybody in the world. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't me. <laughs> Good boy. What would that message be? He might have just said it. I think yeah. Root said that. Yeah, I think Wait, he did. were you referring to wisdom and knowledge or yes. Roots? <laughs> no, not Roots. Okay. Coughing. So, <laughs> I, I, what I would say is something that my father who you know i consider to be just the absolute most brilliant person i've ever met for good reason yeah Mm -hmm. i mean and i truly believe that that's Mm -hmm. not just like familial bias right but he impresses upon me and he's a technologist philosopher that in the world of digital not to lose sight of the analog that's cool and that's the message yeah. i you know in the last 12 months i've really tangibly done that in my life as you can tell from this you know conversation i'm a very digital person yeah it's where my skill set is where my knowledge is but digital doesn't always bring the same happiness that analog does whether it's working with your hands or enjoying the sunlight or you know human things that have nothing to do with blockchain networks or cryptocurrencies or you know code bases or marketing technologies or short message services we i'm just you know let's not lose sight of the fact that we're analog beings we're not digital beings i love it mm-hmm. yeah and we need a t-shirt that says that let's do it. somebody farming <laughs> is jared listening to this <laughs> <laughs> so um Ben, you work in, uh, you, you do a lot of tech stuff. Uh, you know, you do front end, back end, and that's front end is design work, back end is making making it talk and do, do everything right. Mm-hmm. But you're an artist too. Yeah. It's so hard to pin down what I actually do. Yes. Yeah. I'm a competent front end designer, I'm a semi competent back end developer. With a great team for yeah. that um, helps with any shortcomings. I uh, I would say that I'm more of a digital strategist. That that's where my skill set is: is understanding business models and the flow and you know the process. So, um, if people want to get yeah. a hold of you to continue this conversation or to see some of your work or do something like that, um, sure. Where how could they get a hold of you? So. Um, I've been running a, an innovation and ideation uh, company for quite a while called Beta Killers, mm-hmm. and you know that's it. We just prototype ideas, and you can find me at or email me at ben at betakillers.com. The website is betakillers.com. Um, 
and we do everything from virtual reality, which is one of my oh, total yes. passion yeah, projects. Right. I forgot we about, talk that, about one. that Um DenVR. Yeah. Uh, DenVR.io is our website, and we do live VR events. And I talk about VR forever, but we only have a minute left, yeah. so I won't. Um, yeah, from VR to app development to cryptocurrency to, you know, commodity tech. Um, yeah, and then I also uh, co-founded a wood engraving studio called Lumengrave. We do really amazing wood art and uh, production, glassware, anything engraved we, we do. That's lumengrave.com. Yeah, that, that's the analog really neat. part yeah, of my that's day. That's what I was going to say. And that's you getting into yeah. more analog. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to you, you tell me, you know, like you're, you're thinking this is where your passion is lying right now for work. Yeah, I love being at the wood shop. I love the, you know, the, the feeling of just taking this big chunk of wood and turning it into this amazing art piece and it's unique art piece that I'll, I'll put on a blockchain somewhere. Right. Um, I really like that. But I still, that doesn't mean that I'm not constantly thinking about, uh, you know, technology and where it's going and new startup ideas. And I'm involved in just a ton of projects. That's yes. definitely maybe a fault of mine is I, I do get involved in a lot of projects, but I try, I try to give them all the right amount of attention. Yes. And so did you mention the website? I'm sorry, uh, we have a, a guest that's been running around on the floor, uh, the dog, that's been a little distracting towards the very end of the show. <laughs> um, um, but did you give the website for... Yeah, lumengrave.com, betakillers.com, okay. denvr.io. And if you're interested in the local investment platform, it's crowdsprout.co. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then if you want to get a hold of me in person, I live in a yurt in the Uncompadre mountain range uh, by a small river. That has a fan with by no, it? <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, I love like meeting people for coffee and just getting to know them, getting to know their ideas, and listening. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love meeting new people. So uh, hit me up and we can chat. Awesome. Nice. Hey, Ben, thank you so much yes, for coming thank out today. You. This was awesome. Awesome. And I'm really excited for the Farm Fest. I hope everybody listening goes to it. Comes. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> Saturday and Sunday in October. Thanks yeah. for that plug, my friend. <laughs> uh, thanks for tuning in, listening to Edible Economy today. Uh, really appreciate your support. Yep. Go to edibleeconomy.com for the show notes, pictures, and all the links that we said throughout. And thanks to Kate with Truth and Legend Productions and Morrow Media. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. <laughs> nice. <laughs>